The guest for this interview is a man that, in my humble opinion, is making waves in the spiritualist movement. He's leading by example in his work and making many people sit up and look. My guest is a man that from his early teens has been learning to understand the precious connection we have with the other world. Don't be fooled by his wicked sense of humour. He takes his role very seriously and through his work has become a well-known and appreciated ambassador for his forward-thinking ideas and popularity across the UK and around the world. My guest is a prime example of how the spirit will seek out the right people for the advancement of communications between the two worlds, even though he was not expecting it himself. He remains a kind and humble man with a magnetic personality. In this interview, you'll learn how my guest made bold steps and was a forerunner in using technology to make sure people could continue with their spiritualist community during the COVID crisis. My guest is president of Poole Christian Spiritualist Church. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Lawrence Seville. This is the Spirited Talk podcast. Conversations and much more about connecting with our friends and lost ones in the spirit world. Well, you'll have heard from that long introduction I've just given to the gentleman I have with me today. I am actually very excited. Now then, just to get some of the homework out of the way, it's Saturday the 25th of June. It is 10am in the morning. He got me up bright and early this morning for this. He said, I am so busy, you'll have to do this almost when you're asleep. And believe me, I nearly am. Now, before I came in yesterday for our pre-records, I just did a few things. I went over to my collection of Buddhas, which is over there on the side, given to me by my friend Robert Sumner. And I chose a Buddha for today. Now, I didn't know and I've never met our guest, but I picked this one here. It's a tiny little one. It's beautiful. And uh, I'm going to just show it my guest on screen. I call it the Happy Buddha. So there's a clue there as to who our guest is. If I were to tell you some of the stories from yesterday's pre-records, you wouldn't believe this man. He obviously is not of the age that he declares, I'm sure. A very good, warm Saturday morning to my good friend. He is now my good friend, Lawrence Saville. It's lovely to be able to talk to you. Good morning, Trevor, and thank you so much for inviting me. It's a uh, real privilege. I kept seeing posts coming up of all these wonderful people you've uh, interviewed, and I never dreamed that I would join that list of luminaries and very well-respected people that... Uh, you have engaged with in the past so thank you uh, it's absolutely my pleasure and uh, I had you on the list from early days when I first spoke with my good friend and your good friend Mr Mark Stone he said Lawrence Seville is one gentleman you need to speak to he has a very rich tapestry of life within this movement and uh, so I've always said yeah okay I'll, I'll get hold of him sometime I will and then I had one of your greatest fans a lady called Anne Bennett she's a Spirited Talk Foundation guardian a big supporter of what we do at Spirited Talk and she's been on to me for months. She said, you need to speak to Lawrence Seville. Now, it's interesting because Anne lives in Peterborough, yet she found out about you and your work during the COVID because one of, you were one of those groundbreaking people that were taking advantage of the technology, etc., to keep your uh, congregation, if you like, 
with something to do. So thank you very much for Anne. I'm going to get on with the interview now. Less of the whiffle waffle from me. Uh, we'll start off. Let's have your official title. So what is your absolute name? Because I it may not be Lawrence. It may be Laurie. I don't know. And uh, what do you prefer to be called? My official title is I am president of the time for the Paul Christian Spiritualist Church. I do prefer to be called Laurie. You've said you are Paul. Just explain to some of our world listeners that are out of the country, whereabouts in the UK is that? Paul is a seaside town on the south coast of the UK. Uh, If you look at a map of England and draw a line down the sort of centre part of England, you're going to come pretty much to the Dorset, Hampshire area. Paul is a historic seafaring port. We have a rich history here of smugglers and pirates and contraband. Absolutely beautiful historic value to the town. Nowadays, though, we are more engaged in the tourism industry. We are the home in the UK of the Sunseeker boats. So when you see these beautiful craft gliding through the seas, just remember that somewhere along the line, a real-life hooligan built that beautiful beast. (laughs) I know the area a little bit myself. Obviously, I lived uh, near there for a few years. you still got pirates because, of course, Mark's still alive and working. Uh, very well out there. Um, but you've also, you're also famous, of course, that area for pool pottery, which is still collectible these days and it's still going just outside of pool. And a one, one good thing, any visitors that come to the centre of pool will say, smells nice in this town because, of course, you've got lush soaps that just spread their smell everywhere. Now, Mark actually told me yesterday you've got a nice property on sandbanks. I wish. <laughs> I win. Sandbanks is uh, what is affectionately known as Millionaire's Row. Property prices there, I think we had the highest record for a residential property recently of £10 million. Myself, without being detrimental, there is one road in and out of Sandbanks, which is currently down to one lane because the sewerage system has decided to collapse. So I don't see the point of having a £10 million house when it takes you three hours to pop out and get a pint of milk. But it is a beautiful area and you are overlooking, you've got this wonderful contrast there of sandbanks. You have the peninsula on Paul side, which uh, property prices are astronomical, um, but some beautiful, beautiful properties. And completely opposite, just separated by a short channel of water, which is the sea inlet to the Paul Harbour, which is the second largest natural harbour in the world second only to Sydney. Little factoid for you. Opposite there, the Studland area is owned in perpetuity by the National Trust, so there is no development. So you've got this delightful contrast of coming from very material, very affluent uh, area to Mother Nature Mm. in a short trip on a chain ferry which takes about three minutes and nature i think is the key word there because obviously there's also the world famous nudist beach over at uh, the the other side at swanage i have a few medium friends that like to visit there occasionally roger <coughs> sorry moving on i wouldn't know about that <laughs> <laughs> nowadays excellent <laughs> 
Right, uh, we're, we're, we're cracking up. We're digressing. You can see what sort of interview we're going to have today. So <laughs> is this where you were born, Larry? No, actually, I was born in Nigeria. My father was in the army. He was in the tank regiment. He was stationed out in Nigeria. And my mother and my two older brothers dutifully followed along. And then my mother went to see the MO, the medical officer, and complaining about a few bits. And he said, oh, it's just a change in climate. So I'm affectionately known in the family as mother's change of climate. Because <laughs> mm. Well, that's a coincidence because just about 10 miles up the road from you is the Bovington, the famous Bovington Tank Museum. Is there any connection between the regiment and, and that? Yes. My father finished off his army career station at Bovington, where he was an instructor. To this day, when you go into the Bovington Tank Museum, there are a number of tanks which have got these massive cutaways. I don't know why I'm using my hands because we're on radio, but I do. Uh, massive cutaways of tanks so you can stand on the outside and view in. And that was my father's handiwork. Yeah, absolutely. And very fond memories of growing up in Bovington. Lots. He wasn't D.H. Lawrence, was he? No, but my name, Lawrence, is... I think Mum had run out of names after the first two. She just gave up. <laughs> and when we came back to the UK and it was time for me to be christened, obviously a Lawrence was very prominent in the area. So hence, here I am. Hello. And we are talking about Lawrence of Arabia, the famous man that actually spent uh, some of his time and life, in fact, in Bovington. Uh, so not far from you. His house still exists, I believe. He does on Clouds Hill. Yeah. It's uh, set up as a museum now. And it was just down the road from Clouds Hill where he met his end of this life uh, on one of his passions, which is motorbikes. And he swerved to avoid a baker's boy on his bicycle. So he, uh, to save the baker boy, he actually lost his own life. So, and the other day we were in Wareham and we actually stood at the tomb of D.H. Lawrence, which is the first for me when we had the wonderful people, Jack and Lola from Denmark with us. So we were doing the touristy bit. So that was wonderful to say hello and yeah. thank you for the name. I know Wareham, I know Wool, beautiful little places. Uh, I've always said, you know, it'd be nice to live, but then again, it's about ooh, 45 minutes to the nearest motorway at least. So, ooh. Um, right, moving on. Are you, uh, I've got to ask, because you know Anne Bennett, she knows to know everything. Are you married or are you with a partner? No, I am single now. I had a partner for over 12 years. Absolutely beautiful man. A little bit of truth there. Down to me, I let that relationship go. I didn't tend to it. so And it took me quite a few years to actually admit that to myself. So anybody listening, do you know what? Don't let your garden get overgrown. It needs tending. It needs working all the time because you never know what you've got until you no longer have it. It's just me now, which is... Um, well, it's not just me, because I do spend an awful lot of my time engaging and talking with spirit. And if anybody ever walked into my flat and was stood there observing me, they would be dialing a number to get somebody in a very strong white coat to come and get me. <laughs> so, so I t take it from those remarks, there are no junior uh, Savills walking around that you're no. aware of? No, no, not from uh, this side of the family. 
I have uh, some wonderful nieces, but the family lineage stopped here, I'm afraid. Sorry, Mum. So you say you were born in, I think, let me guess, let me have a look at you and do some predictions here. I think you were born about 1960. You're very ungracious host, Mr. Baldwin, 1962. I thought you said 1960 yesterday. No, I said I'm 60. Was it, How long were you in, um, where was it, Nigeria? Nigeria until I was seven. So there are some childhood memory. I do remember things. I remember the monkey. We had a monkey. Oh, wow. <laughs> little one, big one, chimp, ape, or? Uh, chimp. Oh, wow. um, so I remember little things from Nigeria, but my real formative years, we moved then to Bovington. And from Bovington, once father had left the army, we moved then into Hall itself. So I identify really as Dorset as my home. Were there any brothers and sisters? Yes, I have two older brothers. One sister in spirit. So you were the sport one in the family then? I yeah, I was the beautiful baby of the family. Yeah. Yeah, you were the if you were the last one, you were sport. Now I I think we mentioned it yesterday in the inspired writing uh, part of this, which is an extra, by the way. If you haven't heard, you need to go and search it out. But I mentioned in there that um, the spirit world told me yesterday that you were Mummy's boy and st- still are, even though Mummy's in spirit. Correct. I probably got away with a lot more than the other two. Although, you know, when you're growing up as children, you don't maybe realise that at the time. Um, But yeah, I probably got away with a lot more because the older brothers both joined up into the army at young ages. I went along on a two week sort of like introduction to the army and we decided both of us, that's the army and myself at the end of the two weeks, that maybe we won't cut out for each other and we'll just call that a day there. So, so I followed a career into the public service domain in restaurants and then on to running pubs. Oh, nice. Oh, very nice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so we're talking about the 1960s that you were born. Let's just have a look at your mum and dad for a moment. How, your dad being a, a military man, was he a strict father? He wasn't strict. He was certainly not an overbearing character, certainly by no means. He was a very gentle character. And coming out of the army, as is with most people, leaving the services life, the transition to... Civvy life can be quite difficult. And obviously, sadly, at that age, maybe we didn't realise so much the difficulties that were going on. But mum was always very supportive. So as a unit, they worked very well together. But no, not a strict disciplinary uh, man, but he certainly had morals. He certainly had standing uh, and he certainly had a lot of strength through all the experiences through the war years. He was uh, decorated by the King of Belgium because he was on the first tank that came into Belgium. A lot of history there. And probably like a lot of people, once parents are gone, you suddenly start to realise you may be not recognised or engaged in certain big chunks of their life that made the person. How about your mum? What what did she did she have a career of any sort? She came from Ballam Stock, Ballam in South London. A uh, very lively character. I often say I've got my father's looks and my mum's temper. Mum was the very much 
us boys, dinner is at six o'clock, and woe betide you if you came in a minute past six. So mum taught us the values. Uh, mum taught me how to sew, how to cook, uh, how to iron a shirt, which at the time you're just thinking, really? But afterwards you thought, actually, thank you, mum, because you gave me those basic steps of life in which uh, you build on to support. And how did you get on with your brothers and sisters? I mean, being the younger, were you picked on? Were you bullied? No. Uh, and again, both my old brothers went into the army. So our, our family life sort of like stopped with this move to uh, they both was stationed in the UK and abroad. So we never, you know, we just sort of like lost that contact in our formative years. And then myself, when I moved on and then started to forge my own career, as is sad, and it's definitely, I think, a male energy, the contacts sort of uh, got thinner and thinner, which is a shame. Laurie, can I have your permission to ask you rather a delicate question, but but it's just come into my head. And if you don't want this in this next part of the interview, I will cut it out. Your dad was a military man, okay? So he's strict, he's got morals, and he's a very strong man. Um, when did you find out about your sexuality? Oh, oh, oh hello, Trey. I thought we were talking about spiritualism, but yeah, okay, carry on. No, it's fine. It's fine, fine, fine. It was something, probably others saw it in me, and I think certainly my mother saw it in me before I realised it myself. So, again, as is the case when we're going through those subtle changes in our physical life, you know, started to notice a difference. <laughs> so, probably about 13, 14, something didn't fit what was the norm with everybody else and it sort of like evolved from there and how did your dad take this he was very much of his era and there were certain phrases used and not nastily you know we we, we do tend to get a little bit antsy about phrases from the past and saying oh that's disgraceful you can't say that well in today's world no we can't but in the world of then it was perfectly acceptable it was the norm uh, so there were a few phrases used within the family and i just like cringe and i won't share them with you but um i mean at the end of the day i think probably there was a period of adjustment with him because coming from an old, older generation, there was always this preconceived idea of uh, how your children will grow up. And then Lawrence appeared, which threw that into disarray. But I will say, both father and mother, my age at the time, I probably didn't realise how much angst that they probably felt and adjusting to uh, my sexuality and my way of life but they both never stopped loving me there were you know I was of that generation uh, where we're seeing films coming out today like Pride and It's a Sin very evocative of my formative years and I knew people that were disowned were kicked out on the streets parents would never talk of them or to them ever again I didn't go through that but I did go through that with friends and colleagues 
also of that era. You know, I've been through two pandemics and people tend to forget this. And a lot of people of my age, we've lived through two pandemics. We had the AIDS crisis. We had the hideous advertising, you know, with everything being hammered out into a headstone and you're all going to die energy about it. Uh, and we, people of my generation, gay men and gay ladies and heterosexuals, we've gone through two pandemics now. We've gone through already that period of fear and horror, not only fear for ourselves, but also there was an awful lot of backlash against the gay community uh, of that time because we were seen at one stage as the spreaders of the new plague that's going to kill everybody, which, of course, we know is nonsense, but it was in the energy of the time. And through that time, uh, the support network within the community was absolutely incredible. And it's probably, actually, sorry, I'm going to, I'm, I'm drifting off here, but it's very interesting that that taught certainly myself, and I know that people of my own generation, it taught the value of community. And the community within the gay community was immense. It was hard. <laughs> You know, we used to have uh, some characters in our time that would say things that nowadays you probably get locked up for. But you know what? We we took things and we owned it. Mm. And we were part of that community. And we were proud about what, because we had society telling us that we were unclean and uh, against every moral code in the universe. But we weren't. And we supported each other. And between the age of 25 and 27, I attended 14 funerals of bright, promising people. And that, that really has an effect. That really does have an effect on people. But the strength that came out of it uh, was amazing and the support that came with it was amazing if anybody has never seen it's a sin a channel four production or the film pride which is an amazing somebody said to me you've got to watch it and i went you know what the last thing i want to do is sit down and <laughs> watch a film about a load of queers and i can say that because i'm queer so <laughs> but when i watched it i thought you know what this guy's nailed it because he captured the energy of that time from the gay perspective. And it's a beautiful film and so evocative. Well, fantastic. And look, I know you, you you sort of condemned me at the beginning of that all of that statement there. You say, oh, I thought we were talking spiritualism. Well, we're actually looking <laughs> at Laurie Seville's uh, early life. Now, what, what happens in our early life shapes who we are later on. Yeah. And there's lots of things that happen that shape who we are now. Now, that I brought the subject up because I knew when you, as soon as you mentioned your father being in the military, ah, we have a, an, a, a clash here. And that will shape the person that will shape you and has shaped you but you know let's have it said on the record here if you were to take all the gays out of spiritualism would there be any mediums left i wonder <laughs> probably not very few <laughs> my only issue with the whole thing laurie is whenever i meet a uh, person that i like and they tell me their sexuality i usually ask do, do, do i do you fancy me a little bit 
And when they say no, I am so offended. <laughs> We've digressed. That's coming out of the interview. That is not I'm glad you didn't ask me because I don't want to offend you again. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got to have a laugh. you got, you got to have fun with it. Well, f- thank you for sharing that with me anyway. So um, a little bit of trivia here for a little while here, uh, uh, just, just to liven things up. Going back to your childhood, what was your favourite toy? No, we're talking about up to the age of 10, 12. I did enjoy creative toys, and I think that's something my parents must have seen in me because I was forever getting, well, I don't know, maybe they saw the budding of my sexuality and thought, quick, get him something manly. So I ended up quite a lot with Meccano and little woodworking. I did chemistry. I love my chemistry set. I love that. I could create the most awesome stenches and burnt myself on several occasions with it. It's great fun. Um, yeah, it was creative toys. You see, again, people ask, why do you ask such a silly question? Well, the toys that we get do, again, shape who we become. I was a, uh, while I wanted Lego, I got Meccano. And when you're a kid, it's like, oh, who the hell wants Meccano? <laughs> yeah, so, and, and I would have dreamed of a chemistry set, but my father would have told me, you blow the house out, I'm not getting you one. So, so <laughs> I know where you are in that now. What about the first book that influenced you, or had not, not influenced you, but the first book you probably wanted to read more than once? The Kraken Wakes. The author, my brain, I am at that age where my brain is going slightly to mush I always say every new thing I learn now pushes out something that I'd already learned (laughs) tell me about it tell me about it I'm getting to the age now that everything's got a different name and Jane says no you mean such and such oh forget correcting me I know what I mean it was John Wyndham and he is a wonderful author and when I read that book it was probably the starting of realizing that I had this imagination because when I was reading the book, I was creating that picture and I loved it. I, and it wasn't an escapism. It was a new world to explore. Uh, and then John Wyndham, of course, he went on uh, to write many books in the science fiction genre. Day of the Triffids. Yeah. Uh, again, another wonderful, wonderful book to read. But certainly The Kraken Wakes is probably my first book that I went back to time and time and time again because it was, the actual story is quite depressing, (laughs) but it was just this world that suddenly opened up to me, this world of imagination, of fantasy, and probably, yeah, I see that now within my mediumship. We need that visualisation things to come in well precisely that that's exactly it that's the the most important tool to a mental medium is their imagination believe it or not you need the imagination and you're showing here that as a child as growing up you had to work or had uh, were aware of a strong imagination i like that yeah yeah very much so I want to sing that song now from Willy Wonka. Is it? Come with me and you'll see a world of imagination. But I won't. Uh, no, no. Personally, I've always thought that film a bit weird. So We like weird. <laughs> uh, okay. Other people's weird tames our own weird down a bit, so that's fine. This presentation was brought to you from the Spirited Talk Foundation. Education for improving your connections with the world of spirit. 
Learn from listening to others that are keen for you to progress in your own unfoldment. If you'd like to support this wonderful project with an ongoing subscription, why not consider becoming a Spirited Talk Guardian? You'll get to hear these episodes ahead of everyone else and free access to all the content in the Foundation Library. And of course, you'll be supporting this amazing audio source into the future. Visit our website at spiritedtalk.foundation. That's spiritedtalk.foundation. Thank you for your support. This interview has been made possible thanks to the kindness and generosity of a few listeners that have donated funds towards the cost of producing it. Lawrence and myself would like to thank the following people. Cliff Doherty, thank you, Cliff. Kelly Green, thank you, Kelly. Jackie Cunningham, thank you, Jackie. Sherry Wakeman, and thank you, Sherry. Jason and Ursula Goldsworthy, thank you both very much. Amanda De Vogel, thank you, Amanda, for your support. Kim Degner gave two donations. Thank you, Kim, for both. And finally, Lynn Cotterall, thank you so very much, Lynn, for your support. Also, a huge thank you to the Spirited Talk Foundation Guardians who give a recurring donation every month. Without them and the peoples whose names we've just mentioned, this Spirited Talk Story Edition would not have been possible and free for you to hear today. So thank you all very much. raising funds for the next story episode which will be recorded as soon as we've reached the target if you want to contribute towards the episode please send your donation to paypal.me slash spirited talk that's all one word paypal.me slash spirited talk you don't need to have a paypal account for this service as credit and debit cards are accepted you'll get early access to the final production and a mention within the recording. Be generous and support Spirited Talk Radio. Thank you. <laughs> We're radio now, are we? Fantastic. And welcome back to the second half of this story. As you know, at this point in the second half, we always open up with Arthur's questions. He's the voiceover man. He has got 10 questions. All I will expect you to do is give a fairly honest answer to the question. Uh, There's a caveat on that. These questions are really spiritual, but that's all you need to know. So are you up for a laugh here then, Lawrence? I am. You may get taken off the air, though, by my responses. Okay, well. All I need is a number from you between 1 and 10. 7. Here is your chosen question. Question 7. When did you last smoke a joint or get drunk? (laughs) (laughs) 
I like the uh, caveat of all. So I last got drunk. <laughs> that's, that's the problem with getting drunk, isn't it? I'm not a massive drinker. Uh, when did... Oh, yes. We had our wonderful Danish friends over, Jack Eckhart and Lola. And they brought over a bottle of Liquor 43, which I'd never heard of. They have this drink where you have liquor 43, a little bit of apple juice, and spray cream on top. It's called an apple pie. I had eight apple pies that night, and I, I, was, I was very tired. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when it's like, oh, apple pie. Well, let's try it with cinnamon on that. Oh, let's try it with nutmeg. Oh, dear. <laughs> it just got really ridiculous. That's a very good answer and um, <laughs> very honest. Um, you are relieved uh, of your duties. Okay, let's get back on to this story. It tames our own beard down a bit, so that's why. Okay, <laughs> now this this doesn't really interest me, but some people like to know what star sign are you? Aquarius. Apparently, we walk the tightrope between genius and insanity, and I know which side I keep wobbling against. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I like that. Sorry to interrupt you. Can we go back there to uh, star signs if you're okay with that? Oh, absolutely. Like many people, you know, read the star signs in the paper, and it was all the bits that we liked. We went, oh, yeah, this is really good. You know, so, uh, yeah, there was that ego massage part to it. However, uh, I was very fortunate to partake in a few workshops on astrology. And coming from that, you know, David Kane or out of the Daily Mail, uh, Russell, whatever his name was, who was the celebrity astrologer. But something actually in astrology, I went, you know what? As a spiritualist, I, I get that. Because coming in under these different signs, we do share these common personality traits. Now, if you akin that to, if I was going up to Edinburgh, uh, tomorrow I'm going to Edinburgh, my method of transport, I wouldn't pick a skateboard or a moped because that would not be suitable for that journey when you translate that over to the fact that we are spirit coming here on a journey is that influence of the star sign part of the kit bag that we need you know if you're going to be a great orator you may not be in under one of the star signs that's normally very quiet and very reluctant to talk uh you would be among the more fire signs you know where you are likely more to be out there so i don't dismiss astrology i think there is a value in that uh, recognition that certain traits within our star signs support our spiritual path and that was meant to be yeah and i completely agree with you there i i have often felt especially i've just come back from a fortnight in lanzarote and there's a lot of people watching there and i notice i just like looking at people it's weird and uh, people walking by and i could look by the shape of their face and know what category of person they would be because i think everybody you know if you were to take people you could put groups of people together and say you're like him you're like him you're like him um so i i think there's a lot more commonality between us than we give uh, uh credit to i've not observed what you've observed there but i am a very big exponent of soul groups and us in our travels here during this existence we will come across members of our own soul groups 
not only in the wonderful creative and sort of supportative role, but also the people are going to bring challenges into our life. Yeah, I mean, on the basic level, just to explain it, uh, this is on the absolute basic level. Uh, somebody can walk by and I can say he's German or she's German, and you get a lot of that in Lanzarote, and we will sort of move nearer them in the restaurant or whatever, you know, be floating around and listen to the accent. And as soon as it's, you know, they say something in German, you go, yes, I was right, I knew it was German. And the same with Dutch and the same with Spanish. There's something in their looks, the way they are, that you know what nationality they come from. The Brits, for example, abroad stand out like a sore thumb. Uh, <coughs> no matter where you go, and I'm not talking about the bellies only. I'm not talking just... <laughs> just, just a, this, I know, how offensive of me. That's me off the air. But, you know, you get to that. And then you can go further with the personalities. You can then go... You, you can see a little bit more about it. So I agree with you regarding the uh, star signs, and I agree that it's all part of the bigger picture. Thank you. Yeah, and what you were talking about there, Trevor, I suggest that you may want to investigate psychism. Uh, and this is something, an energy that we're working very much with here at Paul, separating psychism from mediumistic engagement. Because something has happened, uh, and I strongly believe this, uh, within our movement, that the difference is not being tackled. It's always been a thing in the past, historically. I've heard people say about the mediums working on the platform and people coming away going, oh, well, that was only psychic. Well, I've seen psychics give a friend of mine, so I know there was no collusion, her PIN number to her bank card, which caused great hilarity at the meeting, uh, and great dismay to my friend as well. So psychism has a huge value. I use my psychic skills uh, on my healing route. I will engage in that person's energy field to find out where we're going, you know, and find out actually your sore knee is actually an echo of an emotional issue and things like that. So psychism is a great tool and not to be sniffed at. But I do think we need to bring more awareness into the movement, the philosophy, the religion of spiritualism so that people can understand that. You know, if you're going to be a psychic, be a great psychic. If you're going to be a medium, be a great medium. Don't, you know, just be wary that you practice what you preach and don't pass off either consciously or unconsciously psychic gifts for communication. Communication engages intelligence from the other side, and you have a two-way conversation. Psychism is you reading other people's energies and understanding that. It is not to be dismissed. It is a great and invaluable. Psychics make great negotiators and great counsellors because they can hear what's not being said. Now, myself personally, everybody knows I do the tarot. And I know that when I do the tarot cards, I'm not with an earth energy. I'm with the spirit who are working with me. As my inspired writing recently has proven, that the spirit will communicate through psychic methods. So I, I, it's just my opinion, but I think uh, psychic is, is kind of like the back door. It's, it's a, a way in. It is. Um, there is a wonderful book. It's, it's a bit of a tome. Uh, but it is well worth reading by Arthur Findlay, 
and it is called The Psychic Stream. And many of my uh, wonderful teachers that I've sat with over the years have often said, we need to cross the psychic stream because we're going through this period of unfoldment. And the first area we're going to unfold naturally is our own energy and how our own energy interacts with others' energy. And then we progress that on to our own energy interacting with discarnate energy. So the psychic side is pure, you know, it is there. And once we acknowledge it and work with the difference in it, it can be an invaluable tool. I've had it with people. People have walked up to me and by the time they've got to me, I'm thinking, I'm really going to enjoy this engagement. And sometimes okay, I've got to be a little bit wary here because something's going on. I tell you what, I knew this would happen. Uh, I am absolutely, you know, you put me in a party of people and I can't wait for the subject of spiritualism to come up. It rarely does, and in which case I'm bored. But when it comes up, I'm excited and I want to talk about it. And you are proving that in yourself now because we have just walked off the path that I'm supposed to be on. We're about a mile off field <laughs> at the moment and I've got to bring it back. I've got to bring it back. We'll, we'll come back to the spiritualism side of things um, a little bit later on and you talk a language I love to hear so do bear with me on that one so let me go back to your childhood here let's move the time anything up to say your, your teens were you an inside person indoors or an outdoor person oh good question I really don't know I've never examined myself so early teens probably indoorsy more than outdoorsy I think I must be a very good sportsman because I'm a hideously bad loser so <laughs> so um I didn't engage in until the age of 18 at the age of 18 I was 18 stone so my physicality was one of hiding away and certainly not throwing myself about on the football field Although I did find in my metalwork class, I had this great uh, lack of fear. We built a go-kart and it came the day of trying it out. And of course, Savile was always the back of the queue for everything. And there's all these little boys driving around in their go-kart that built quite proudly. Until it came to Lawrence's turn, where Lawrence just had no fear whatsoever put his foot flat out on the accelerator and disappeared into the hedges about a quarter of a mile down the road on the school page. <laughs> and I loved it. I wanted to do it all over again. <laughs> I, 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 you know, there's a reason, for, again, for asking this question because... I, as a child, my dad made me go out after school, take off my school uniform and go and help him outside. And it meant doing things like scraping fences, double digging the garden. It, it was horrible jobs where everybody else was allowed to do their own work, not me. And I kind of was an indoor person. And I used to come home and when it was raining, I was so excited. And I still am, to be honest, these days. When it's raining, I think, yes, I can go in my office with full justification why I'm not outside. So I'm with you. I'm kind of an indoor person. Um, so I get what you're saying here. i got to ask, though, a question has just popped up in my head. Would you class yourself, before you answer, let me have a go. Uh, would you class yourself as an introvert or an extrovert? Now, on the face of it, you or people would say, oh, Laurie's extrovert. Of course he is. But I think you're an introvert. Very good. And again, your psychic prowess is coming through there, Mr. Baldwin. I, 
uh, my career uh, within the uh, restaurants and pubs, I was on stage. I had that personality that I would engage. Like everybody, I think everybody, we're all made up of different people. We are father, brother, sister, son, lover, whatever to people. And those people see us as that character. When I am in public now, if we apply this to the timeline now, as in chairing services, being the face of the church, as a working medium as well, I have a very extrovert uh, personality. I engage as much as I can with people. I always try to engage with humour and find the upliftment in things. But I am an incredibly private person. There is a very private Lawrence that very, very few people are allowed in i don't mean that uh, in any detrimental way i there are very few people that actually engage with lawrence on that level one of the things that an introvert will do is they will want to communicate and they want to be sort of in the party for a minute or two and they will make that extra effort so when i come into a public arena like this a microphone and whatever i make extra effort but I don't know if you agree with me. As soon as this is over, as soon as all of that's out, I like to go back in my shell, be with myself, and even chew over what's happened and just, just get into my world, my private world. There is a degree of that. I don't approach my work as in I want, you know, I'm not putting on a falsehood. This this is me as Lawrence, the organiser Lawrence, the entertainer Lawrence the spiritualist Lawrence the medium which are all very outgoing personalities you know people walk through our door here at the church and so often and I'm very humbled by it they say do you know what the minute I walked in the door you made me laugh and made me feel at home and that's great because that is that Lawrence but everything is a broadsword there are two sides to it and having that very outgoing and gregarious and engaging uh facets of lawrence there is also that facet that actually it needs at times to just sit either on my own or with spirit which i do an awful lot of and with the few people that I allow to see that side of me and to and I find those times most enriching mm. most enriching that those few people that are talking to the introvert Lawrence and engage and very educational as well some of the things that's said um is, is yeah yeah it, it's fascinating I, I you know, if, if there's any psychiatrists out there, please switch off now. But I enjoy having multiple personalities and I enjoy engaging between the two and three and more of every little facet that is Lawrence. Here's a, a quick answer uh, wanted for this one. What was your favourite TV programme when you were growing up? Oh, Doctor Who. Oh, really? Again. Oh, God, yeah. Again. Uh, the imagination, you were transported into other worlds and other possibilities and other realms. It was... And it must have scared you as a kid. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, there was a couple. Um, <laughs> I can't remember the name of the episode, but it had volcanoes in Wales. 
And I remember going to bed thinking, oh, please don't let them sort of clean it go off. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What was it? Again, on that theme then, let's just look at the films. Were you, what was your favourite film? Well, of childhood years. Yeah, kind of. Uh, again, they would be of the genre of uh, science fiction. I remember One Million Years BC captivating me. Um, Harry Harryhausen films, uh, the mythology films, they all captivated me and got my imagination going of uh, the voyages of Sinbad and Valley of the Gwangi and things like that. So, yeah, it was always other reality films. If you just listen to the interview now, you'll see how we're getting the shape of a lorry from his childhood. We're getting how and, you know, what's happened, what inspired him and what uh, built him to who he is now. In other words, what drove him nuts? Well, no, 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 no. Honestly, you know, I'd be exactly the same. Where Laurie lost a grip on reality. <laughs> okay, so how did you do at school? What? How did, how did you do with the GCGCs? Were they CSEs? Uh, they were CSEs in my time, probably very hideous because I found school very boring. I found school too, and you recognise this now, and it's such a shame that we are not teaching children this and allowing that freedom of expression. It was too institutionalised. It was too everything, two and two equals four, and that's it, and there is no arguing with it. Uh, within the English language, no, you don't structure a story like that. Well, why not? Why, why, why can't you structure it another way? Why don't we explore that? So I think now, with the hindsight of age and experience, probably my lack of engagement in the school years were I, I did not like that disciplinarian and uh, approach to everything. You know, you had 15 minutes, you have to go out and play. Whether you want to or not, you know, this is your break time. You have to go out and play. And actually, I'll just sit and read a book. But that wasn't allowed. And I do remember at times having quite interesting discussions with teachers that normally ended up with me going up to the headmaster. So, uh, <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah, school, yeah, it's all right. <laughs> but it's probably only about a six out of ten. <laughs> and, I, and I remember somewhere in the inspired writing part, uh, this, the messages that came from Spirit yesterday through the pen, uh, one of them said that you are very similar to me in how I was at school, in that we found humour as a way of allowing us to communicate with others around us. So make yourself a fool in the class and everybody will kind of like you for a moment. Does that, appear, does that sound like you? Well, I don't think make yourself a fool applies, and I don't think it applies to you either. Trevor we just found the humor in things because we already had formulations probably in our unconscious not in our conscious mind of you know what to this day I have never had to use my knowledge of how an oxbow lake is formed yeah. <laughs> we taught we were taught all of this in school and you're thinking how am I going to use that I've never used a logarithm. What the hell was that all about? And I couldn't understand it at school. They didn't teach me anything with it. So, yeah, I'm with you on that. I, I, I don't know about you. Well, I used to laugh so much I pee myself. Oh. Well, thank you for sharing that, Trevor. 
I'm just saying that that'll, that'll come out. Okay. No, but I used to, you know, you'd laugh, you get the chuckles, and you can't stop, and you're in class, and the teachers are just, uh, oh God, you know, I'm like you. I hate school. Let's move on. That's a good. Yes, yes please. Just yeah. move away from your soiled underwear. Thank you very much. Uh, that will all be removed. That little part there. Okay. Oh, what, oh. what What was your favourite subject at school? We're We're rounding it up now. We're coming into your t- your later years. You, I think you've already hinted what your favourite subject was, but go on. English and maths, which are two total opposites, because maths has a paradigm that, you know, this equation will equate to that. I wrote this story once, and I really, and I think now, I probably tuned into spirit, but not unknown at that time. And I wrote this wonderful story about dust motes being suspended in sunbeams, like fairies gliding through a glade. And my English teacher tore it up, saying that I had plagiarised it. And I went, I haven't. I wrote that. That's what came into my mind. And maths, I, um, I, I enjoyed maths because I struggled with maths. So it was a greater sense of achievement when I had that light bulb moment of going, oh, now I see what X squared does. Ah, I got it. So, Mm. yeah, that, you know, understanding something was an achievement, was an accomplishment, whereas the English was my creation uh, and be able to pen a world, an existence that only existed for that time when i was at school it was there was two englishes there was english language which was a grammar side of it and it was english literature i hated the english literature because it meant reading and i guess i was dyslexic to some extent so you liked the english literature side oh got, yeah i was picking up books way out of the curriculum because i just you know and you picked up some books and you just thought nonsense whatever but they retained mm. uh the information in there and now within the spiritual side of uh, my work it's often we're referring back to our hierarchies that run before to the formative disciplines especially going back to roman and greek time uh and seeing the great philosophers then and their thoughts on the world of matter uh mm. really interesting well, you've talked about spirit a little bit there. I think we're going to move into that subject now. What was your first experience of somebody dying? Ooh, that was a good one. It wasn't somebody. It was my dog. You know, I'm not being disrespectful. Uh, a loss is a loss. And my old dog, who was a rescue dog, we had about four years of great fun together and she loved me she would lay on my bed when I was not there she would automatically come to the door when it was time for me to come home so yeah that was my dog and that was my first loss of the physical existence Uh, and took a lot to understand and work through that grieving process. And and how old were you at that time? 15 so yeah I had Penny from 11 to 15. And she was my light, my world, my everything. And then one day she was not. What hurt you the most about that? Was it the grief of not ever seeing her again or the lack of understanding as to where she's gone? What was hurting you? I think probably at that age there was the the loss, the physical presence, because, as I say, she spent she would sleep with me every night, she would greet me every day. Uh, so there was that physical loss, but also there was not understood at the time 
the processing of emotions because I'm a bit pants with my own emotions. Uh, so anything that engenders a very strong emotional response for, from me or in me, I do, and even to this day, find a bit of difficulty in processing that. We're going to leave the story at that point and pick up from here in the next episode. So from my guest, Lawrence, it's goodbye for now. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We, we have done the first part. That's the first episode. Are you happy? Yeah. Yeah, I'm enjoying this. Excellent. I am. I'm finding it very interesting what I'm saying. Which I love, yeah. Absolutely. Well, it's been fantastic. I've got a list of things here I didn't ask and a list here I didn't ask. And I thought, I love the shape of this conversation. Let's leave it as it is. Um, we're on to the spiritual side. Do you need a wee or a fag or anything now? I'm going to make a coffee and a fag. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to go for a wee. I've got a toilet in this building, so I'm going to go and have a little wee-wee. Thank you for being so descriptive, Trevor. I, no I do, problem you know, at all. I have a very active imagination. I can now see it. These times I get it out and don't do it in my pants, so... 